I want to start with a couple of thoughts, and, and I'm going to get into, over the last several weeks, the Lord's just kind of been just uh, speaking to me about some things, and, and uh, I, I think uh, there's a lot of it for me, but I think there's a lot of it for us um, as, a, as a community and as a company of people. And um, one of the things I love about the Holy Spirit is He's very intentional, God's very, very, we forget the intentionality of God is, is something that's so amazing that we think sometimes things happen and they just happen, but they don't happen. God's very intentional when he speaks. He's very intentional when he shows up. And, and you know, even, even the, the smallest hint of his voice is very intentional. And, and we miss those things. And I was thinking this week about how many, how many events or th- experiences I have missed over my life because God softly said something and I didn't respond. So, so the intentionality of God is so strong. And the reason it's so strong is because he's so passionate about you. He, he loves you so much. And, and I, I, I have my moments where I think about that in my private worship time. And some days I just get overwhelmed by, by how much because just try to wrap your mind around a love that's so unexplainable that it's just hard to, to even comprehend it. And so um, I really feel like, you know, I talked last Sunday, we had a vision thing, it was great. And I talked a little bit about value and the Lord has me in this thing where I really feel like he's awakening us uh, to a different place. It's not that we're, we're asleep, it's not that we're bad, we're doing everything wrong. I don't believe that. I just believe that there's a newness that he's wanting to do. And so I'm just gonna share some things that the Lord's been sharing over the last two weeks, I was sick for a couple of days last week. It's funny for me when I get sick, when sometimes the Lord speaks to me the most. I, I don't know if it's just because I'm more still in that moment, and I, I don't believe He made me sick. I just believe I just you know got whatever was going around. But it's interesting because at, it, it's like I have those moments like, yeah, okay, God, can you do it tomorrow? Maybe I'll you know write the. And the worst thing about that is I forget. Anybody ever have a dream from the Lord and you get up in the morning and you forget it, or somebody gives you a word and you forget it? And it's like, ah, stink. You know, you just, you hate those moments. So I definitely believe we are living in a very intentional time that is connected to the heart of the Father. I believe God is doing something in the church as a whole, not just beloved. I, I believe there's a great, uh, a great awakening for a remnant of people that are allowing their senses to be awakened to what God's saying and doing right now. And, and so I'm... I'm I, I, I want to, you know, just share a little bit, um, and I really felt like to start with, uh, you need to know that in this season, the Holy Spirit is really going after your heart. He doesn't care anything about your gifts. You understand that, right? He doesn't care anything about your stuff. He's not after your stuff. You need to know that. We're living in a season where God is after our hearts more than it's ever been before. He's always been after it. But I think he's turning up the voice that he has that's connected to that intention. And sometimes it's, it's, we walk through that. It can be very, very complicated. So I read some interesting scripture. It was like the Lord had me all, all over the place. He had me in the book of Daniel, had me a little bit in the book of Revelations. He had me in the book of Acts. He just kind of confirming different aspects of who he was. And I'm not going to be super long, so don't, don't be scared about all those, those scriptures. But um, So I want to talk to you tonight about this is what I feel like was happening right now with me. I believe this is what's happening uh, in, in the moment we're living in. And you've heard the prophetic words, you know, new wineskins and all, all that God is doing. But I, I want to talk to you about that right now in this, this time that we're in right now. And I don't believe it's a season. I believe it's a time. It's a big difference. This time we're in right now is a time of deep, deep invitation. So I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the power of invitation. Uh, I mean, if, if you felt uh, this next election, you got invited to the president of electional dinner or ball, you'd feel pretty important, wouldn't you? Right? I mean, you tell your friends, oh, by the way, I just thought I'd throw this out, got elected, invited to the president's dinner. No, no big deal, just, you know, something cold happened to me. I mean, you'd be putting it on Facebook, you'd be super excited about that engagement. And so the Lord, you know, kind of began to deal with me about the excitement or what happens within me with the invitations that he gives me. 
because he's such an invitational. I'm going to talk about that. Now, I want you to I want you to understand this. Your whole conversion began with an invitation. You heard the word. Maybe you, somebody asked you if you wanted to receive Christ. There was something that happened in your life uh, that began with an invitation. Actually, the person you're married to probably began with an invitation to a date. Life, our life is so full of invitations that I think sometimes we underestimate the value of what we're living in in that moment or that season when God speaks that we just think, ah, just God speaking. No, no, no. he's being super, super intentional in that moment because there's something that he's designing and wanting to define in you in your identity. He's producing something very genuine. So I was reading... I was reading the story in Acts chapter 26, verse 28. And um, this is an interesting, and I don't know if that, don't put that verse up yet, but just hold on a little bit on that. This is Paul, uh, you'd probably know this story. He's standing uh, before King Agrippa, and he's on trial. And uh, so the king gives him this opportunity to um, defend himself, share his story. It's, it's a beautiful Story. So Paul gets up and he begins to give King Agrippa this testimony of his Damascus Road experience where he had this vision and encounter with Jesus. And, and uh, he, for the first time in his life, he really got to know and experience Jesus the Savior and Jesus the Messiah. And King Agrippa makes this statement, and I was reading Acts this week, and it just caught me. It's just like, oh my gosh, like, Father, why have I never seen this? And this is the scripture. This is Acts 26, 28. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, now watch this, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. I was reading this verse, and the Lord said, there's so many of my people that are experiencing the almost. Almost moments where you were in the raw presence of God or you heard the divine voice of God or you heard the invitation from God, but somehow something distracted you, but you were this close to a divine invitation for something to radically change your life. Now, I want you to think about this. King Grippa's having this encounter uh, with, with one of the greatest preachers of all time, Paul. And he's given him this supernatural encounter that he had with Jesus. And King Agrippa is this close to having his life totally rocked to experience something he never experienced before. And his response was, I almost got it, but not quite. The interesting thing is you never hear King Agrippa's voice or see his presence after this situation. He's never mentioned again in the Bible. And so I believe the Lord is reaching out. This is probably one of the most saddest, to me, stories that, that we could ever have happen in any circumstances that we face with God. I mean, this is really sad. To think about this invitation from, from somebody that's so anointed and, and has the God of the universe living within him and uh, to miss that opportunity. And then I thought about this. How, how many... How many things have we missed because we almost responded? In a restaurant, go tell that person that I love them. But I don't really know that person, and yet I'm really hungry and I'm uncomfortable. I just, I, I almost responded to that. Pray for that guy in a wheelchair. I went, okay, Lord, calm down. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't do these big miracle things. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just speaking to you right now. Almost was obedient. God loves us whether we respond positive or negative. His love never for us changes. It's important for you to know that. But what happens is we miss a moment where the Holy Spirit wants to do something that he desires to do in us that possibly he could never have done before. And let me just say this because God is kind. He's so full of mercy. He's so, he's so full of, of, of love and compassion towards us. He's absolutely amazing. But don't think for a moment you can't miss a moment 
all right? Like if you were hanging out with me and we took 40 years to get somewheres and you heard later on after 40 years, you know, really should have took 14 days. You're like, what? What the, you know, heck? Really? We took that long journey to experience, imagine, to be on the borderline of the promised land and almost, right? A land flowing with, you know, everything that, I don't know, Dairy Queen has to offer. Right? Milk and honey and, and the land, the, the grapes were so big that two guys could carry a cluster on a pole. And to be there and just be like almost. See, almost keeps us from a lot of the most of what God has for us. It robs us. So I want to talk a little bit about invitations. See, God is working. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Acts, and it talks about it's in him we live, we move, we have our being. It's one of my, it's, it's Acts 17, 28. It's probably one of my signature verses that his design over all for us, being in him, is that we can live in that place, constantly move in that place. And one translation, we, some translations say being. One translation says we live, we move, we exist. That word exist in the Aramaic and the Greek means to continue to be. So living in the flow of what that looks like and moving and making decisions in the flow of what that looks like are the very things we listen to and we connect with with the Spirit of God that actually cause us to constantly be in that place. It's, I mean, it's intense. So intimacy, advancement, and growth in God are always given, listen to me, with invitation. Intimacy, advancement, and growth in God are always given with invitation. He will always honor your will. He just won't show up and say, get down and pray. If you don't get down and pray, I'm going to throw you on the floor and you're going to pray. Thank God. He, he's not that aggressive. The Holy Spirit is not that aggressive. So they're always given an invitation. So here's what happens. They always require a response. If there's always invitations to who God is for us, there always has to be a response from us. That's why, it's, that's why we're compared to covenant. That's why it's like a marriage. It'd be very disappointing if I married somebody and never ever got a response from them or maybe only got a response from them once a month. They said, I love you when they married you and never said they loved you since. They started off when you were dating with I'm sorry and thank you and it's never been repeated since. response is, is one of the greatest keys to your identity that there is. Why? Because covenant is twofold. It's two people interacting. It's two people exchanging communication. It's two people touching. It's two people connecting. It's two people living life and doing life and moving life and being something together. It, it, the marriage, other than salvation, marriage is the greatest thing on the planet. Now, men, that would have been a really good place for amen. You'd have got some really big brownie points right there, and you just totally missed it. <laughs> so the doors we open and close each day actually decides the lives that we live. Let me say it again. The doors that you and I open and close every day to some degree decide the lives that we are going to live in. Right? It's easy to tell somebody to open a door. You need to do this. You see, tell your kids, well, you just need to do this, 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 and this. But it may be totally different for them. God may have something for them that's totally different. But decisions do determine our destiny. Let me say it again. You got to get it. Decisions do determine our destiny. Dr. Paxson felt called to be a chiropractor. What if he said, I don't have to go to school. 
I'll just work with my dad and I don't need a license. He can show me what to do and I can do it. Yeah, be a lot less cheap, wouldn't it? (laughs) Think about it though. The decisions that we make actually determine the destiny that we live in. And here's the thing, you've already got a destiny. It's not like you're creating a destiny. You're already marked for greatness. You're you're, you're already marked, uh, you know, to be just fabulous just because of your relationship with God. You're already loved regardless of what goes on in your life beyond what you could imagine. And you have this beautiful thing called grace, which is the greatest expression of God's love towards you. Because he's not focused on your sin, he's focused on your righteousness. God's not looking and being focused on my faults. He's okay with you missing it. I never heard that. Boy, when I was growing up, if I missed it, I mean, I was going to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $200. If I pulled out of the yard as a young Christian man and got hit and, or, and had a dirty thought, I wasn't going to heaven. The revelation of the intentionality of the Father and how he loved me and how passionate is about me and, and how intentional it is towards me really began to change my life. It really began to affect me in a very powerful, powerful way. So it's the goodness and the kindness of God to allow us to have a choice. Why? Because there is no true intimacy without personal choice. You'll never, ever be able to blame me for your own spirituality. Hmm? Come on, right? Right? right now, you're as far as you want to go. Yeah. Oh, well, he, you read the Bible because you're a preacher. Really? Seriously? Well, you pray because you're a... Really? Long before I was a preacher, I was reading the Bible and praying. And so God is, is speaking to us right now. But it's really sad that people can almost have an encounter with God that might change their lives in such an incredible way and actually lead them into a greater level of God's nature, God's love, God's purpose, and God's heart towards them and just walk by it like it's, you know, somebody yelling at them from down the street. This thing is either relational, it's either connection, it's either uh, intimate or it's just religion. Right? And religion is a cruel master. He's a cruel master. He'll convince you that task and work are how you get relationship with the Father. And there is works. The Bible says faith without works is dead, but it's not that way. I'm not working for love. I'm working from a place of intimacy. I'm giving of myself from a place of intimacy. I'm serving from a place of intimacy. I, I spend time in my word, not because it makes me a Christian, but because I love the voice of God. I pray, I soak, I journal, I do these things because I love the voice of God. Here's the problem with almost. Almost eventually will, will kind of silence slowly the voice of God. Right? I had, when I was a youth pastor, the kids asked me one time about, you know, the Holy Spirit, because I was talking about the goodness of the Holy Spirit to awaken us to things and awaken us to different functions in our life. And one kid says, well, what's that even like? I said, well, it's like this. You know, if you were a big clock and you had those inter, intertwining wheels. He never leaves you, but your ability to be disobedient or un, not pay attention to when he talks to you, those wheels begin to wear down. It's not he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He loves you the same. He's always going to speak to you, but that voice, that feeling seems to get weaker. It becomes easier to live in almost when you start living in almost. because of what it does to your life. It's sad enough 
to miss God's invitation, but to just miss it, that stinks. Right? Right? Come on, right? I had a story. I first got saved. You know, I was one of those real radical guys, and I, I was, I was, um, I really liked to hunt and liked to fish. And back then, when I got saved, I kind of uh, everything else got laid down, and that became other than Jesus. That became fishing and hunting became my a part of my restoration. It, it kept me from getting back to some degree into what and who I was. So. And you may have heard this story before. I was, I was driving. I got off work early. I was so excited. I had my eye on this big buck, and I'm headed out to the woods, and I got my Bible. I'm going to spend a little time with the Lord. I'm going to hunt a lot and do different things. And I passed this old guy. Uh, his name was David, and I passed him on the highway, and the Lord speaks to me just like I'm talking to you, like he's in the back seat. He's like, pick him up. And I'm like, Lord, I, I got to be in the woods. It's going to be dark soon. I got to get this hunt in. So I just, you know, all the way in the woods, I'm walking. The Lord's like, hey, just, just go back and get it. Just pick this guy up. And I, I'm like, hey, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm just, okay, Father, I'm just, I'm going to hunt. And I shot, listen, I shot a beautiful buck. So I totally thought it was the devil talking to me the whole way I was on my way out to the woods. So a little bit about me. I grew up in the funeral business. My dad was a local undertaker. Back then, you didn't actually go to the hospital. We went and picked you up at your house. I get home, I'm all bragging, I got this big buck. You know, where I'm from, back in the day, we didn't all have trucks, so we strapped the buck across the front of our car so we could drive through town and everybody go, ooh, ah, wow, amazing. I don't know if anybody remembers those days, but that's how we used to do it. So um, I get home, I'm all excited. My dad comes out, he says, go change your clothes, you gotta go help me with a body. So we, we get in the car and we drive out and we get into this house and here is this guy. He's just shot himself. I'm a, young, I'm a young believer, got a calling, asking God like we all do when we first get saved, use me, use me, use me, use me. <laughs> and I almost picked him up. Isn't that scary? I, listen, I actually went into a spiritual depression. I went from almost into regret. They go hand in hand. They're the twins. I never went to church for about two or three weeks. Pastor Kelly, the pastor that was serving in Lewisburg at that time, come over one Sunday after church. He says, I noticed you haven't been in church. You know, like, are you doing okay? Like, what's going on? I said, well, you know, I, I, sh I, I, I don't want to talk about it. I'm just, I'm really uncomfortable. I, I was so, I felt so unworthy, ashamed, and embarrassed to be crying this. And back then, I, I kind of lived in a religious environment. So it was like, I just, I blew it. I, I, I mean, I just destroyed my whole conversion, my whole calling, my whole future. And I, he said, no, I really want to know, Jamie. He said, I really, I really want to, I just really want to talk to you about what you're going through. It's, it, I don't want you to stay away from the community, from fellowship. It's important you talk. So I shared the story. I tears in my eyes. I just sobbing. And I was just sharing this story. And he let me get the story out. He reached over and he grabbed my hands. He said, look at me. And I looked at him. He said, I picked that young man up that day. And I went, what? He said, yeah, I picked him up. I gave him an opportunity to receive Jesus. And I tell you, there was two emotions I was going through. One was I'm off the hook. Because I felt like, you know, in being in a religious setting, you just feel the weight of, of that, that mistake, that failure. And on the other hand, I was like, oh, God, help me never to live in disobedience to your voice. So as God's people, we go through moments. I mean, you can look at the life of Israel. We go through moments where we kind of go this way and God says, hey, I need you to come back this way. I, I need you to get, get, you know. Listen, the word almost means very nearly, but not exactly or entirely. 
Let me say it again. Almost means very nearly, but not exactly or entirely. And I was reading this, and the Lord said, so are you living very near, not exactly or entirely? And my question is now, would you like to live close, entirely, and exactly how I created you to be? And this is what he said, I need you to shake off almost. Get rid of almost. So life is a matter of choices. And every choice we make, makes you. Every choice you make, makes you. It's true. I I never realized the power of of the choices that I I make. And and once again, this is not a a shame message. I'm I'm trying to call you up. I'm, I'm I'm trying to ignite your heart that, that God's very intentional about you as an individual. He'll never stop loving you. He said he never changes yesterday, today, or tomorrow. Do you know how intentional that is? How intimate somebody has to be to say, I was with you yesterday, I'm gonna be with you all day today, and I'm gonna be with you all day tomorrow. Some of us who are married and work don't even get to do that. In his covenant, He says, I want you to see the intentionality behind how much and how compassionate and how intentional I am about your life, that no matter what you're going through, I am constantly present. Why? Because that's who I am. And here's the thing. God never, ever calls us to something that he has not done. If he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength, it's because he's done it. If he's called you to forsake and follow, it's because he's done it. If he's called you to surrender your life, it's because he's already done it. If he's called you to give, it's because he's a giver. If he calls you to heal the sick, it's because he's done it. If he calls you to bring deliverance, it's because he's done it. If he's, whatever he calls you to, he has already set the standard of what that looks like. And he never, ever calls us into anything that he himself has not already moved and operated and stepped and walked out. So when he's intentional about his voice to you, it's just not him talking. He's saying, hey, you can do this simply because I've done it. And now you're a son and now you're a daughter. And so on the journey, we get all these invitations We get these opportunities, these choices to make that position ourselves for proper identity. God loves who you are, but he, he will make adjustments in how you hear. He will make adjustments in your response. He will, he will give you opportunities to step into things that you never, ever saw yourself doing. And I can testify by that, by being here today as, as a delivered Coke addict, I never thought this is what I'd be doing. And I love street evangelism. That was my heart. But sometimes we, we can sit back in the moment when God is trying to raise the church that he's always had the heart to raise and just like, I don't know. I'm not really hearing God right now, pastor. That's because you're not listening. See, the, the invitations of the Father's intimacy are vital They're vital to your life. Why? Because the greatest intimidation to your enemy and the situations you have with it through life, the struggles, the trials you face will be your intimate relationship you have with the Father. That's the greatest intimidation to the enemy, that intimacy, right? You may not jump in when somebody else's kid's being beat up, but I guarantee if it's your kid being beat up, Right? I've always wondered these crazy people when there's a big fight, why are they filming this on their phone? Why are they not engaging? Why are they not protecting? Why are they not standing? You know what I mean? And so God in his intention for us and a relationship void of response, listen to this. I thought about this this morning. Relationship void of response is very unfruitful. Let me say it again for you. Relationship void of response 
is very unfruitful. And listen, I've spoken to a lot of couples in 30 years. In most marriages, when they get into problems, it's because of a lack of response. And guess what happens? Communication. Guess what happens? Their marriage becomes very unfruitful. The relationship becomes unfruitful. I don't know if you've sat down and actually thought about your conversion. I got thinking about my conversion today. Because there's something that happens to us when we first get saved that we totally underestimate. Our receptors or our ear and our inward man gets turned on. Where we couldn't hear the voice of God, we now are able to tap in to the voice of God. Think about that. And just talk, take a moment, just really think about it. Think about the fact that you actually get to hear the voice of God. Not the president. We, we get his voice all the time. But there's something that happens within you. God initiates something in your very being where now where you couldn't hear the voice of God, now you can hear the voice of God. And then all of a sudden in that voice, God begins to speak to you and, and, and for whatever doctrine you've developed, listen to this. God always, always talks to us. I, I, I have a hard time when people say, yeah, God's not speaking to me right now. It's baloney. It's a good Greek word. God is always, there is nothing in the universe that can keep God from speaking to you. How do you know that? He's very relational. He's the greatest love. He's, he's got the greatest passion. He's more intentional than anybody in the universe. And a part of him shaping who you are and walking you in the journey and with the journey and to where your destiny is involves in a great way. It is a key factor in your identity is the intentional voice of God that speaks to you. And he's speaking now. Like he's never spoken before. And it, it's a sweet voice. It's not a voice of rebuke. It's not a, when, listen, when God speaks to us, he exhorts, he encourages, he comforts. He doesn't come and say, you suck. You stink. You're really blown it. I don't have time for you today. Sorry. As a matter of fact, I think I'm just going to turn my back and not talk to you for a couple of weeks. How can you say that? Because he's a perfect father. He's a good father. He knows how to father better than anybody on the planet. And good fathers don't stop speaking to their children. Come on. So he's, I, I was sitting in, the, in one morning in the, in the living room and I get up really early. And so I was sitting in the morning and the Lord just said to me, he said, you realize how passionate I am about you? Do you realize how much I love you? Have you, even, have you even asked me about my intentionality towards you? So he does this out of his kindness. My prayer since the new year and, and the last end of December, his Lord God, let me hear your voice clear and let me respond with quick obedience to what you're speaking into my heart. We're probably living in probably one of the most, I gotta try to say this in a kind way, probably one of the most uneducated spiritual moments that we've ever experienced in the church. You, you, we can say what we want about the church 20 years ago and, and our forefathers. I'll tell you one thing about them. They love presence, they love the word, and they love to study the word, and they love to go after the heart of God. But my busyness becomes my almost. My incorrect values become my 
almost. Lord, I'd really love to pray, but I don't have time. I'll never forget when I first got saved, I told my dad. My dad says, now, son, you really need to go after God because of the life you've committed. My dad was the most loving, kind man. He was just precious. Uh, and I said, well, dad, you know, that is up early. You know, I'd have to get up super early, and God would say, well, he, dad would say, well, you value what God did for you? Get up. Because you don't have a problem getting up five in the morning going hunting with me. Surely you can get up and spend some time five in the morning with the person who set you free. Who's compassionate about you. It, it's, it, once again, don't take this as earning anything. This is, this is relationship. This is what relationship looks like. And he's always trying to call us to be who he knows we're supposed to be. He, he knows who you are, who he intends for you to be. And so his intentions when he speaks to you is to pull you in to being that son or that daughter of God. Because I, I'll give you an example. For example, um, if I was to say to you, in the month of December, how much, did you, how much time did you spend asking what God's word was for you? Not for our prophetess to get up and say, this is the word for the body. Did you pursue God's word for you? Not my word for you. Did you actually just sit down with your journal or, or just take some time during the busy month of December or even this first part of, of January and say, God, so God, what are you saying to me for me in 2023? Because you think God's intentional, you coming into a new season, into a new year? that he wants to speak to you about where you're going? Listen, in order for something to happen corporately, there has to be something that happens individually. You know, every great move of God that's ever happened on the planet have started with a group of people corporately going after presence. And then there was this shift in the church where we wanted to bring somebody in who carried presence, thinking that they could bring this utopia of presence for all of us, this, this manifestation for all of us, so we wouldn't have to connect. You know, in the Old Testament, altar and worship are the same word. Sacrifice and worship are the same word. And so God is so, he's enlarging his voice. He's, he's, he's speaking louder. It's almost like, you know, you, you watch them when they do this thing with the whales and it's really cool because where, where I'm from, they have whale boats that go out and, and you, you see that echo and you hear it on the, on the machine. It's like, wah, wah, you know? And I, I felt like th th this year, this is what God's doing. His voice is going out like this, this radar for anybody. Now listen, you know that you can't hear that with the natural ear. They got to put a mic in the water, a certain type of mic. They got to record it. It takes something beyond what you naturally able to hear to create the ability for you to hear that sound. And the cool thing about God is he doesn't have to do anything supernatural. You already have that turned on. He just needs you to listen. I was thinking about 2023, and, you know, I normally don't always have a verse, but the Lord led me to Psalm 23, and it's an amazing psalm. Uh, psalm 23 is the most well-known and popular and beloved psalms of all the psalms in the Bible. And a lot of people don't know that when David wrote this psalm, he actually sang it. It was his, it became his personal song. And the whole song, listen to this, the whole psalm is about God's protection, guidance, refreshment, abundant of blessing, and a promise of eternal life to those 
who love him. It's a beautiful psalm. And each of us have that same ability. David is hearing the voice of God in, in all of the psalms, most of the psalms that he wrote, 70-some psalms, but all the psalms, and he's like, oh my gosh, he's, he's having a hard time containing himself. But we write off, it, it just, sometimes I love where the church goes, but at the same time, it's kind of scary because we're so used to hearing the voice of God through others. We write off our own ability to hear it. Hmm? Now think about this. How many of you have depended on the voice of somebody else for your destiny? Because you're almost in your regret, your regret made you feel unworthy or unqualified to hear the voice of God for yourself. Right? We say we're not religious, but there's that little part, those little pockets in our soul and in our hearts that, that, little, that little, you know, if I could draw you a picture of that little religious guy, just got a little hold on of a nerve and he's just hanging on for dear life. Even though you got rid of most of them, there's just that one guy that just, he's just hanging on and you're like, ah, oh, ah, ah, ah. So God gives you an invitation and, and you almost respond that little guy's holding on for dear life. And as soon as you don't respond, he goes, oh, great. You know, I've been dealing with religion for the last 10 years in an intense way. And me and my wife still have moments where we go through stuff and we look at each other and go, oh, my gosh, we still have religion. There's still some religion in us. That's not been replaced with relationships. Listen, John 10, 27 says, the sheep that are my own, listen, the sheep that are my own hear, I, I like this translation, this is the American, uh, American Amplified Bible, um, are listening to my voice. Now listen to this. What's great about this translation, because this is so connected to the original, this verse does not say that sheep that are my own have heard me or have listened one time. The sheep that are really connected are listening to my voice. Do you ever say to your kids, are you listening to me? Do you ever say to your spouse when you're, you're having a, a moment, are you listening to me? And you go, uh-huh. And she goes, well, then repeat it. And you go, I don't know, you're talking something about a bass boat and a, and a you know, 75 horse motor and a brand new rod. That's all I got out of the conversation. <laughs> right? He said, and because they're listening me, because they're listening, they know me. And because they're listening and they know me, it's easy for them to follow me. Your ability to listen and to know removes the almost from your life. It should anyway. It should pull you into an intimate place. To learn the voice of God, I was thinking about this today, to learn the voice. You know, I, I have this thing, uh, I, little things pop out at me. Like, in, in, you know, when, when John's talking about love, the love chapter in John, where he said, those who, you know, speak with the tongues of angels and have done this. And I, I just read funny stuff and I say, so there's actually a language of angels. Remember the verse? Right? In 1 John, I think, is it 13? I think it's 13, the love chapter. We, we think it's a marriage chapter, but it's not. It's actually the love chapter, just pure base love for everybody. So listen to this. I was thinking, and the Lord said, my voice is the voice of heaven. Now think about this. The more you hear my voice, the more you're able to bring heaven to earth. Right? How many of you are doing stuff now you thought you'd never do because there's a YouTube video that shows you how to do it? Right? 
right? I don't know. I don't know. Light bulb? How do, you, how do you do that? You know, I don't know. Watch a YouTube. I don't know. Right? So the value of hearing God's voice is he shapes us. And the sad thing is we're always coming into agreement with something or someone. Let me say it again. We're always coming into agreement with something or someone. Why not come into agreement with the one? The person. I read a quote. I was reading it to my wife today. Listen to this quote. I want you to get this. It's very powerful. The church's obsession with avoiding disappointment has given the seat of honor to the spirit of unbelief. Let me say it again because it's not up there. You ready? The church's obsession with avoiding disappointment has given the seat of honor to the spirit of unbelief. Because we think we have to see miracles to believe. We have to have all this stuff happening to believe. Jesus didn't walk up to the disciples and, and you know, do tricks. Uh, leprosy, uh, no leprosy, none of that. It was just like, hey, follow me. And it was like, we're in. We don't know why we're in. We don't know what in looks like. We can't define in. But you know what? I'm not almost going to miss this opportunity because there's something about you. Joshua said to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. He didn't say choose them because of the miracles. Choose them because, you know, he, you experienced this, you saw fire, you saw a cloud. Actually, he was speaking to a generation that never seen any of that. You want to be my people? It starts with choosing in spite of what you're experiencing. The good thing about it is in choosing, you get to experience. So he's pulling, he's, he's pulling at our hearts this year with this invitation that is so intimate and it's so pure and it's so special. The thing about almost is, let me tell you this, I'm gonna say it again because it's very powerful. Almost always leads you into regret. And let me tell you what regret, uh, regret does. Regret will always rob you of your correct passion for something or someone. And without passion, it's going to be hard for you to do your journey. I had a word a couple weeks ago I didn't give. I had to repent when I get home. Um, the Lord told me, he, I was, we were sitting in service during worship. Some stuff was going on. God was moving. The Lord said, I want you to speak over them. Let them know that I am super passionate about them. Let them know they need to gaze upon me because I am gazing upon them. Let them know to be overwhelmed with me because I am overwhelmed with them. And I was sitting over there and it was like, it was hitting me so hard. And I don't know what happened. It just, it, everything moved so fast. I got home and I told my wife, you know, she's my sounding board. I told my wife, I said, yeah, I felt like the Lord gave me this word tonight. She said, you should have given that word. I can't believe you didn't give that word. I said, thanks for that. It's real encouraging. <laughs> See, somehow we think that we can postpone uh, invitations, right? You know, I, I, not this time, Lord, but Lord, ask, me that, ask me again. The problem with that is the more that you, you live in almost, it actually, it weakens your passion. So, you know, it's like the guy that says, I'll tell you right now, if I want a million dollars, I'd give a lot of money to the church. That's great because you don't even give $10 now. If you can't give $10 out of 100, I'm just using an example, how are you going to give money out of $500,000 or a million dollars, Right? Why is that? Because when you're passionate about something, you're willing to let go. You're willing to release from yourself. You're willing to give. And regret is the worst place to be in. 
Regret robs you, robs you of the moments that you're meant to have that are meant to empower you. You realize that passion, actually, I was thinking about this. I'm doing a little bit of study on passion. Passion actually creates the ability for you to not only receive, but to sow. Sowing and receiving is created by passion. I really believe when we get to heaven and we saw, we see what we could have harvested for what we were willing to release, we're going to go, you mean life could have looked like this? You mean, Lord, I could, be, I could have been living and doing what you wanted me to do and being in your identity if I would, and I'm not trying to get, not, listen, God's not after your stuff. He's after your heart. And when your heart gets affected, there's this passion that you live with. When, when Noah and Abby were growing up, Noah, we had to spank a lot. So he was one of those kids. You could say, don't do that. He'd be like, you know, don't touch that. No, don't eat that. No, you know, they're bugs. So, you know, we had the three, three round rule that, you know, okay, we're going to, I hate giving you a spanking. So I'm going to have to give you a spanking. Abby, on the other hand, we could say Abby and she would cry. Okay. And I learned something about the nature of both my kids. Noah loved us. He wanted to be disciplined, but it was really hard for him because he thought he knew better than we knew. Right? Abby, on the other hand, was driven by the heart to not want to disappoint us. Both had great hearts. Noah has an incredible heart. It just took them a while to waken it up. I'm not, listen, I love them both. Noah, Noah brings things, brought stuff to our lives, joys to our lives that both kids bring differently. But Abby, her approach, and it may have been partly she didn't like, she, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever given Abby maybe one spanking in her life. I've given Noah three spankings in a week over the same thing. But Abby had, and, and I, remember, I remember she was young and I was saying, oh Lord, let me have that heart towards you. That I'm driven by such a passion not to want to disappoint you. See, regret will really rob you. And regret gets developed from all your almost moments. You'll look back and say, I could have been doing that. I could be experiencing that. But you know what? I just got distracted. If I was to line a group of people up in different spots sporadically and I walk through that maze and the one I really want to reach is my son, my daughter that are over here. They're over here. That's where they're at. They're over here but I've created all these other relationships. If I'm not intentional about reaching my son or my daughter, what happens is this sporadic, I don't know, maze becomes lined up perfectly and becomes the wall that puts a wall between me and the intimacy. Why? Because I keep adding to this. This hurts the passion for what's over here. It hurts my intentionality. You know how many, how many moms and dads I've counseled that have said, I just regret the way I've raised my, I just regret doing this, I just regret. How many couples that I meet that say, I just regret doing this and regret doing that, and they don't know how to deal with regret. Re re regret, just, you just need to repent, regret's gone. But we live in that place. And I don't want us to live in that place. When we created Beloved Company, we want to create a beloved company where you have the freedom that if you feel you have a word, you tell us. 
that we pray, that we engage, that we communicate. So God right now, he's extending probably the greatest invitation we've ever met, we've ever had. And he's letting us know he's passionate, so passionate for us. And you say, what does that mean, pastor? His passion positions us for a growing compassion within us. Let me just say this. Like, the worst thing about almost is it decreases your response and decreases your passion. Response in relationship always increases the passion in the relationship. Right? We do, at a marriage conference one time, we did a whole, we did a whole thing on sex. Um, it, was, it was fun because I've never seen so many people uncomfortable in all my life in a session. We didn't have any open testimonies or confessions, so that was good. But, but you know and I know that without that intimacy in a marriage, it's easy for passion to get smaller and smaller and smaller. That's the way it is. You know, Ed Young wrote a book called Sexperiment. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a book how he, he started discovering for couples that were struggling, if they would have continual sex for 14 days, the passion of their marriage could be rebirthed straight. And all the men in the room went, yes, we need that book. <laughs> the marriage child, you know, one of the things that's funny is for a man, honor and sex are the two top priorities of his life. For a woman, sex is like right after knitting. <laughs> now, that's an actual study. That's not me making it up. That's an actual study. So passion is so, so powerful. And so God is speaking to us. I, I think my favorite thing about passion is it creates a greater hunger. Don't you find that? Don't you find that when you've had an encounter with God, it creates a greater hunger? If you get in a moment where the worship is rocking and you're literally feeling and hearing the voice and presence of God, does it not create in you a greater hunger for more worship? Listen, when you give, and God, you know that what you just received came from the direct seed that you sow. Does that make you not more passionate about sowing? When you pray, and a prayer you prayed gets answered, does that not make you more passionate about prayer? Go ahead and stand. I want to give you a couple statements, and, and we'll, we'll pray. Um, so passion in itself requires response. Passion requires response. It, the whole journey is, is one of response. I want to read this. This is Mark 12 and 30, Passion Translation. You are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with a passionate heart. This is pure Aramaic. This verse is an Aramaic written verse, so it's, it's a mixture of Hebrew and Greek. And the disciples wrote it. From the depth of your soul, with every thought, with all your strength. Now watch this. This is not a suggestion. This is a response. This is the great and supreme commandment. Let me say this to you. I'm, and once again, I'm not, I'm not trying, I want you to, I, I, my heart is for you to get into this place. Um, Revelations, when, when God is, is rebuking the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he, 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 he builds them up, he exhorts them. Oh, I, I love how you love to serve and I love how you give and, and I love this and I love that and I love this. And he says, but I have one thing that's vital. All that stuff is great, but you're missing this one thing. And, and one translation says this. We know the translation says this. If you don't change, I'll have to remove your candlestick. The actual translation of that in the Greek is, if you don't restore your first love, you will lose the ministry that you're doing. He's not saying, I'll, 
I'm not, I'm disconnecting from you. I won't love you. He's just saying, you'll just remove the purpose of why I called you. Now, Ephesus was the greatest church in the New Testament for for evangelizing the world. They produced more Christians than any church in the entire epistle. And that hit me. I preached on that. So for us, when we think first love, here's what we think. We think it's the love of our conversion. Remember how in love you were with Jesus when you got saved? You remember? It was awesome, isn't it? So we, we get this beautiful conversion, right? But I want you to see this. That's not what that's talking about. The first love in this verse is talking about the love before creation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The beginning place of love. Now you may say, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Let me read a verse for you and we'll, we'll pray. John 14, 20. 26. And I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will obey, who will one day believe in me through their message. I pray for all of them to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given them so that they would be joined together as one and experience the same unity and enjoy one another like you and I have. You live fully in me and, I, and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me. For they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Watch this now, it's beautiful. Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you have placed, everyone that you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my full glory and the very splendor that you have placed upon me because you have loved me even before the beginning of time. This is first love. This is the first example of what love looks like. He says, you are my righteous father, but the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that I know you. And all those who believe in me also know you, that you have sent me. I have revealed to them who you are. I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them even as I live in them. What a verse. Close your eyes for a moment. Father, I ask you to pour out such a passion, a compassion of of love in this house over your people that our hearts will be reawakened to the voice of a loving God. I pray that 2023, we individually will get so close to you that we won't even come in here to spectate worship. We'll come in with our hearts ready to cry out because we love you. Let us discover the passion you have for we so we can have a passion for you that's renewed and refreshed. And I pray anybody that's living in regret or anybody that's been living in almost, God, I just, I ask you, Holy Spirit, right now to remove anything that that's trying to place upon them in Jesus' name. You love them. You've never stopped loving them. You're not mad at them. You're not upset. You're just, you're reaching out with the invitation to get back to the place of first love. So beautiful. You're so kind and you're so amazing. Let 2023 be a year where we sing from our inward man, from an intimate place, our love song to you as we listen to your love song for us. I thank you for what you're doing. 
I thank you for what you're about to do. And I thank you that you love and you love where everybody is in this room. But I am so thankful for the invitation you're calling us individually and as a body to step into. I release my almost to you. Let me hear your voice clear. Let me respond with desire and longing. Let me walk in whatever that looks like on the other side of my obedience. We love you tonight. We exalt you tonight. 